soon as my brother got arrested, I remember advocating for him. It was in our local newspaper. You know, he got kicked out of school. He couldn't step foot in the high school grounds anymore. We shared a lot of the same friends and same teachers. And of course, it was the talk of the towns. It's really empowered me to do what I'm doing today, which is ultimately the company Miss Grass, which is creating a platform and a brand that helps to destigmatize this plant and advocate for it and making sure that we're righting the wrongs from the war on drugs. Like as much as a lot of people love to get high and love to celebrate it, this plan has also caused a lot of damage to so many people's lives. Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Kate Miller. Kate is the co-founder and CEO of the cannabis startup Miss Grass, a female-founded and female-run weed brand in an industry that is primarily dominated by male-owned companies and people previously unaffected by the war on drugs. Now, as laws around cannabis in the nation are loosening, allowing for more small businesses to enter the space, ensuring equity for who benefits from the cannabis boom is at the center of the discussion. It is all about who gets to have a voice in the room first. Also, for context, I am recording this in New Jersey, where the legalization of recreational cannabis is coming any day now, and the state is actually prioritizing dispensary licenses for people who live in areas with a high concentration of past criminal marijuana charges and higher concentrations of law enforcement activity, unemployment, and population. This idea of equity is where my conversation with Kate started, a discussion that she has a personal connection to as well. My full conversation with Kate right after this quick break. You have a long history with cannabis. Um, I'd love for you to tell me, why did you get interested in the space? Go as far back as you can. Yeah, cannabis does go pretty far back in my life. Um, I think now I realize that my upbringing was pretty unique compared to most. I grew up in Jersey. Cannabis was in and around the household. In my house, varying people in the family had different uh, points of view on cannabis. What were those? My mother absolutely hated weed. Like we all needed to hide it from my mom. And she, you know, subscribed to every single stigma that we all know really well about weed that if you smoke, you're not productive, you're lazy, it's a drug, you're going to get addicted to it. And then my father was the complete opposite, smoked a lot of weed. Um, I think when I got to a certain age, I realized that he definitely kept it a secret. And then my brother had a, a different relationship with cannabis, one in which that he constantly got in trouble for weed in school, but also with the criminal system. So he actually got arrested and expelled from high school for cannabis. And that was a pretty meaningful moment in my growing up and around weed that I, at that time, I would consume recreationally at parties and with girlfriends and 
it always kind of worked for me. But when that happened to my brother, it was a moment of, damn, this plant has, you know, caused a lot of trauma in my family. This is the moment that Kate realized the harsh reality of legal consequences that can come from cannabis. It was a reality check for her on how politically and socially complex the issues around cannabis were. Her family was partially torn apart after her brother's arrest, and the way it went down is a tragic, but sadly not unique story. Um, it was early in the morning, it was like two or three in the morning, and I was sound asleep, so I didn't see this, but cops came with him handcuffed, and my mom, who now really regrets doing this, let them into the house, and she was hyperventilating in the living room, couldn't breathe, watching my brother uh. walked in with three cops holding him with handcuffs. They went to his bedroom, tore apart everything, essentially looking for anything to further penalize him. And ultimately, he got charged with cannabis distribution and possession of cannabis and cannabis ancillary products. And I'm assuming you woke up, like you were sleeping in the house, and did you wake up when they came in? No, I didn't wake up. So I, I only oh, heard wow. about this, yeah, when I woke up the next day and found out my so brother. So you literally, you literally woke up in the morning and did your mom literally have to say to you, like your brother was yeah. taken here in handcuffs at 2 a.m.? Yeah, I remember walking into the kitchen like it was any average morning and she was there on the kitchen table with very somber face and sat me down and, and told me that Jonna was arrested. And at that time he was still in prison, like they took him away and he had to sleep overnight in prison until we could bail him out and then wait for a court case. Do you remember what you said to your mom or like what your feelings were in that moment? As soon as my brother got arrested, I remember advocating for him around school where, you know, that was a big deal growing up in a small suburban town in New Jersey. It was in the school newspaper. It was in our local newspaper. You know, he got kicked out of school. He couldn't step foot in the high school grounds anymore. We shared a lot of the same friends and the same teachers. And of course, it was the talk of the town. Yep. So I just remember immediately being an advocate and really fighting for my brother. And if anyone said his name in their mouth, I made sure that it wasn't ill-willed. Uh, so... Yeah, I think like, which kind of weird now, as I'm such an advocate for this plant, it started at a very yeah. young age. Yeah, and so it's interesting, right? And I think it makes a ton of sense. When you're when you're at that age, it's tougher to uh, consciously have a huge impact on you because you're just like still trying to figure out what everything is, what it all means. And to your point, you've now understood as you've grown the impact it has had on you. Just talk about that for a second. Now that like you're more conscious of this experience, what is the impact that it's had on you? I mean, I think it has, it's really empowered me to do what I'm doing today, which is ultimately the company Miss Grass, which is creating a platform and a brand that helps to destigmatize this plant and advocate for it and making sure that we're righting the wrongs from the war on drugs. Like as much as a lot of people love to get high and love to celebrate it, this plan has also caused a lot of damage to so many people's lives. This plant is still a schedule one substance in our country, which is the same schedule as heroin, which means that the government classifies it 
the same level as they do with heroin, which is not at all the same. I mean, the fact that there's over 20,000 people who are in prison right now for nonviolent cannabis crimes, while you, I, half of Americans live in a state where you can walk into a dispensary and get legal cannabis products and consume on your couch like it's no big deal while people are still behind bars for the same plant. I think that is just mind boggling to me that that has not immediately changed. So um, I think that moment with my brother, it's really just continued to empower me today to be doing what we're doing. The huge difference in consequences for owning or consuming this plant for different Americans is a symptom of the uneven regulation of cannabis across the country. In California, cannabis is a completely legal and easily accessible substance for anyone over 21. In Virginia and Nebraska, the plant is decriminalized, meaning you cannot be tried through the legal system for cannabis possession, but distribution of cannabis is still illegal. And then, of course, some states in the U.S. file cannabis into Schedule One drug status that Kate was describing earlier. For Kate, she realized awareness and education around these wildly disparate laws needed to be part of changing the industry for the better. You know, for us, and, and that is why we started Miss Grass, which was we felt that education was so key in helping to destigmatize and normalize this plant. And there was such a lack of it. So, you know, from day one, it is all that has always been our mission. And we kind of joke like our mission is to help the world get good at weed. But it really is. And, and it's, you know, for a number of different reasons why that is really impactful. Um, but first and foremost, when we know about this plant, we can show up as conscious consumers and we, can, we know exactly, you know, what product to consume for your individual needs. We know the history so that we can like show up, not how, how I was showing up in high school, interacting with weed, like, oh, it's all fun. And like really take the responsibility as a consumer and now as a business leader in the space to help repair the damages done help destigmatize this plant and ultimately help empower consumers to, um, you know, feel like they can interact with cannabis as they would any other wellness product in their life. Well, I think it's such an important point you make because our producer of the show before this was asking me, you know, Alex, do you smoke? And I was like, you know, I haven't smoked in a while. The last time I had cannabis was an edible, uh, probably, a month and a half ago uh, with my fiance and my sister, and they didn't have it, I did. Um, but what I said was, it was a really good experience for me. I found it to be really relaxing. I slept incredibly that night. And I said, it's not that I'm opposed to smoking, but it's I've had such different experiences, right? Like I've had such just volatility of, at one point it's amazing, another point I'm really paranoid and actually creates like panic for me as someone who's naturally anxious. And I think to your point, I haven't necessarily found the resource or sought out the resource yet in my life that helps me understand that. But it sounds like in a lot of ways, like that's what you are doing. Exactly. and. Stories like yourself, like that is not a unique story. There are so many people. And I actually thought when you said, you know, the last time I consumed was an edible, but you said a month and a half ago, I thought you were going to say, you know, it was back in high school. But now as this 
industry matures, consumers do have choices and there are more and more resources like Miss Grass out there for consumers to be educated, to walk into that shop to know exactly what's the right dosage, what is the right, you mentioned strain, but really like what's the right like terpene and cannabinoid profile in the products that elicit the same effect that I'm going for every single time. Enter Miss Grass, Kate's cannabis company that tries to fill a unique place in the market by both educating people broadly and catering their brand to a conscious consumer profile. The idea is to forever end the stoner bro stigma around weed. Kate and I got talking about the birth of Miss Grass, starting with a random URL purchase. So back in my bud tending days is actually when we planted this the first seed for Miss Grass. I bought the URL. It's this is in 2007-2008. How much did it cost? It was, you know, nothing. It was whatever the lowest thing was on GoDaddy, <laughs> like 7.99 or something. I was a GoDaddy hoarder, so this was like one of the 30 URLs that I had, but one that did now um, come to fruition. But, um, you know, I, I had mentioned the experience I had growing up in New Jersey and my interactions in the household around cannabis. Fast forward, moved out west to California to attend university. California had a medical program at the time, so as a personal consumer of cannabis, It was the first time that I could walk into a legal dispensary and had options and different form factors too. I have psoriasis, which is a skin issue. It was the first time that I tried a cannabis topical, which has completely transformed my skin and my psoriasis. Um, It's amazing. Yeah. So it was kind of that moment was when I became more of a conscious consumer and really dove in deep of like, what's the right dose for me? What's the right strain for me? What's the right form factor when I'm looking for creativity or looking for healing or relaxation or whatever it may be. But the industry looked a lot different then. I remember actually, there was a day that I was working and there was a woman that came into the shop And you had to give your ID when you walked into the dispensary to someone at the front sitting behind bulletproof glass. You walk through a metal detector to get to the dispensary in the back. And then you enter this dispensary and the products that we sold had like, and this woman came up to me and she was visibly so uncomfortable to be there. And she started explaining that she has a whole host of issues massive anxiety, which has led to insomnia, which she can't sleep. And like she finally got the courage to walk into this shop because friends of hers were like, you need to try cannabis. It's completely transformed my life. Just go, go, go. So she was there, but she also like had no idea where to start. She had zero education with this plant. And then I began to walk her through. And I remember that moment, just like going home that evening and smoking with my girlfriends and being like, wow, it's so messed up that there's a woman and many, her story is not unique, that felt so uncomfortable and scared and timid to try a product that ultimately and very much would contribute to a better way of life for her. And that was really what like planted the seed for Miss Grass of like, there needs to be a brand that authentically is catering to a demographic who's interacting with this plant very differently than how cannabis was portrayed up until that point in media and in the industry and all of those things. And it very much is shifting, thankfully, you know, as 
cannabis legalization is sweeping our nation. There are more and more brands like a Miss Grass who are leading with education, who from a branding and a visual perspective, you know, you'd see it on a shelf and you wouldn't be like scared to leave it out with your friends coming over because it does look like a beautiful, you know, CPG brand now. So it's definitely shifting, but there's a long way to go. I want to shift to uh, what it's been like for you to run a cannabis business in a traditionally male-dominated industry while also now raising money in from, I don't know if you're raising from VCs, but also traditionally male-dominated. I want to talk about that experience, but first, I just want to ask about your, your brother for one more second. How has your relationship with your brother evolved over time from the moment that he was arrested to say even today over time, like, did you guys have a close relationship? Was it really hard for you? Just paint a picture. Yeah. My brother and I have always been really close. So that moment, I think changed me like forever being an advocate for my brother. He could do no wrong in my eyes. Um, yep. you know, and that moment set him on a different path in life. He had issues with opioid addiction for close to a decade of his life um, in recent past. And not to tie what happened to him with his cannabis arrest at an early age to that, but his interaction with the criminal justice system did set him in a different path. Like he has forever been labeled as a criminal, which has allowed him, you know, or not allowed him a lot of the same opportunities that someone like myself who grew up in the same family as he did to have. So fast forward to today, actually, I'm trying to right now support him in getting into the legal cannabis industry, which is like full, full circle if this happens. But New Jersey just went recreationally legal in cannabis and they are issuing licenses to candidates right now and social equity candidates, which my brother qualifies for because of his arrest in cannabis, is um, at the top of the list. So we're right now going through the application process to hopefully get him into the legal cannabis industry and all of the harm that this plan has caused him and my family. Hopefully it can cause some good too. This is a truly painful yet amazing circle for Kate and her brother's journey from being incarcerated to now potentially running his own business, the way Kate has taken her family struggle and turned it into a success is truly admirable to me. We're gonna take a quick break, but when we get back, we're going to talk about how some opportunities in cannabis aren't actually for everyone, so stick around. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I mean, as I think about just in the short time we've had together, your relationship with your brother, right? I mean, you guys seem like you have a really special and amazing relationship. And 
I think it's also so amazing that you've you've turned what was such a shitty experience in your teenage years into basically the the impetus for not only your whole career now, but also just your passion and the energy you've put into educating yourself to, like you said, become a conscious consumer of cannabis. Are there any are there any feelings of like sadness or frustration that you have also experienced along this journey? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that unlike any other industry, with more opportunity and as more people see money signs in this industry, there is more money that's poured into the industry as well as individuals and corporations from more of like a capitalistic market coming in to try to capitalize on this now booming industry. And, you know, in part, I celebrate that because I think all ships rise and the more money that's in it, the more normalization and the more opportunities for us to progress cannabis in this country and beyond. But also I'm a bit sad at times to see that just because with the capital market comes the culture of that. And that's very white male dominated and not really authentically tied to the culture of cannabis or the people who have for the brunt of this plant's prohibition. So it's a double-edged sword for sure. And tell me about what has your experience been like being immersed in a male-dominated industry? Like, yeah, what, what has been challenging about breaking through in this industry where not everyone looks like you? It's been difficult, but I try to use it as an uh, opportunity for us because at the end of the day, we are catering to a consumer base that are conscious consumers that really want to like understand this plant and how they can use it for their own life and really celebrate the sensual and the playful aspects of this plant. And, you know, in general, a lot of women are that type of consumer. So we are catering to our community that is predominantly made up of women, like 75% of our community are female. And I think that is a an opportunity for us to capture this demographic that is extremely underserved given the makeup of this industry of who's leading these companies. Well, I think, yeah, there are two very important points to acknowledge here. On one side, there's amazing opportunity. I think you've turned a lot of challenge into opportunity, which is women are underserved in this market, uh, and there's an amazing opportunity to build brand around it. That's the first thing. The second thing is you said it has been challenging at times. They look at you and they're like, oh, it's a woman who's running a business. They must not run it as well. And and is it uh, direct to you? Are there things they say to you you're like, did you really just say that? Or is it more passive where they just simply don't end up doing business with you and then you're kind of scratching your head wondering why? <laughs> I love it. You're like bringing out the vulnerability. So, I mean, in a lot of different ways. Right now, as the industry and our company continues to grow, you know, the need to raise larger rounds of capital. So fundraising has been really difficult as a woman where predominantly you're pitching to investors who do not look like me. And I get a lot of, you know, when I'm talking about our product offering, oh, I'll give this to my wife, see if she likes it. And I'm like, what? You know? Is that things people actually say? Oh yeah. I get that a lot. Yeah. I think that 
that has been difficult because at the end of the day, it's human tendency to invest or support things or companies or brands or people that you can relate to. And obviously who I'm pitching from an investor side does not look like me. Yesterday, I actually was just having a conversation with another female founder in the space who has a really incredible brand. And she had said this to me, which I've experienced this myself, where when she's going out and talking to these operating partners, they are like, oh, we already have, you know, we're already in partner with a brand that has a female executive or a founder. So no need. Like they've hit their quota. Yeah. Like check mark. We got it. Where I'm like, they would never go to a male founded brand and be like, sorry, we already have something that, you know, caters to this massive demographic. Yeah. Um, So you're like, dude, like there's more of us in this country than there are of you. And you're talking about needing one brand to serve the entire space. Yes, exactly. I'm so curious about how you combat this kind of old and misogynistic way of thinking. You know, you spoke about this, this guy who was basically like, oh, you're a woman and most of the cannabis space is men and I'm a man who is an investor. So do you ever have these moments of insecurity where you're just basically like, how am I gonna pull this off where I'm basically fighting against the forces of an entire industry that are working against me? I would say that this is where like my imposter syndrome comes in and my biggest insecurity at times is my ability to lead this company to the outcome that I hope that this company will be. I'm not sure. I'm still figuring it out, to be honest. I'm still figuring it out too. Yeah. Do you ever ask yourself if you, uh, you have a co-founder, right? I do. Our co-founder stepped away like two and a half years ago. So she hasn't been involved in the day to day, although that may not always be the case, but she went through something extremely personal and um, had to step back. And I was wow, this is the darkest moment. I felt we were running out of money. And I was like, there's no way we'll be able to raise money because we're not making money. And felt so unconfident in my skills as a leader, having just lost you know, a really valuable asset and, and another sister in this journey. You lost a co-founder. It's like the hardest thing to possibly go through. And I, I don't want you getting it all into what happened to your co-founder personally. That's not the point of this, but like, how did it happen? When did your co-founder tell you that they would no longer be able to be in the day-to-day of you, uh, with you of the business? We had uh, a board meeting that she is on our board. It was one of those board meetings where it was like, all right, like, there's a lot to do. Like, it's not looking pretty right now. There is a lot we need to do. And leaving that board meeting, she was just like, I can't, I can't do that. And how did you process that? Like when she told that to you, like play back, like in your mind, visually, like what went on in your head? Did you cry? Were you somewhere? What was that like? The next day we got on a call and it was just waterworks from both ends. Uh, Like she didn't want to leave either, but she had no choice. She had to deal with what she was dealing. But at first it was a so upset and really just felt like I can't do this without her. And since then, it's been two years and I've gone through many emotions, including some of like emotions that I don't love to admit that I had like resentment and things like that. Yeah. Too. It's always the interesting thing of like, at the end of the day, you can't hate yourself for your emotions, but it's interesting to understand why you have them. Right. So do you think the resentment you felt towards her 
uh, at any point was because of your own fear of needing her? Like, where do you think that resentment came from? I think the resentment came from what may be an unhealthy relationship I have with my career, where my whole life I have been like very focused on career, 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 and like putting that first and foremost, number one priority. And I've sacrificed, or I should say it felt like a sacrifice that I've made to choose career over a lot of other things. And I think some of that resentment came from the fact of she went through hell. So I can't even begin to put myself in her situation, but just kind of came from this, like, I would have never chose anything above career. Yeah. It's just how you've been wired for your whole life. That makes, it makes total sense. And to put a pin in this point where you are today, two years after losing your, your co-founder, how confident do you feel in, in yourself and your ability to run the business at this moment? Yeah. And honestly, looking back, that experience with losing a co-founder really was an opportunity for me to gain this self-confidence that I I probably needed to be able to lead the company into the next phase anyway. So um, I hate to say that it was a silver lining, but I guess that was a silver lining. Well, it just, it, it, for, it forces resilience. Yeah. Like it, you are forced to learn so much about yourself, what you're capable of, and all these unanswered questions that you have to answer in the face of your back being against the wall, which it sounds like from where the position of the company was to losing your partner in the business, like that is the definition of that. Yeah, exactly. It's easy to undersell what Kate went through here. For many entrepreneurs, losing a co-founder is like losing a partner when you're trying to raise a child, AKA your business. It is not easy and it puts people through the ringer just to survive. But what's incredible about Kate's story is that she took this trauma as an opportunity to improve her own skills as a leader and to grow her business to one that is now thriving in a hyper-competitive space. The numbers do speak for itself, like our community numbers. When we do launch in states, we have really loyal customers and community members who are coming out to want to vote with their dollar and support the brands that are aligned with their values. So. I do try to use all of that, all of the challenges being female founded and operated, being a startup, not being at the level of some other players in the space. Um, there's also advantages to that. Like we can be really nimble. We're really tied into the culture and the, our community. Like we're not just this white labeled, like pretty looking brand. Yeah. We authentically have a relationship with this plant and it goes deep. And I think that that translates to the success that we've seen thus far in growing the brand. Uh, last thing, what's next for Miss Grass? We just launched our third state in Massachusetts. So we have our THC product available now in California, Nevada, and Massachusetts. And we'll be launching Illinois next in May, and then a couple other states beyond that. So be on the lookout. But in the meantime, too, we have our our digital platform where we have a lot of education-led content. So get good at weed with us at Miss Grass. Lo love it. I'm waiting for Jersey. Okay, five lightning round questions for you. You ready for them? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. Um, <laughs> first, first question. When was the last time you cried? Not sniffles, but like full out sobbing. Um, it was 
the Friday before last, and I was in Massachusetts. We just recently lost a teammate to go to another company, and she was the first person ever hired at Miss Grass. And her and I went out to dinner, and I just broke down, like uncontrollably sobbing. And she has seen myself go through a lot and this company transformed so much and she has become like a sister over the years so it was like this support system that i really felt yeah. was being ripped away totally yeah losing an employee especially an amazing employee who has seen as much as you even if they're not a co-founder but in a way have as much context uh really fucking sucks second question what is your go-to strategy to turn around a bad day Weed. That's an easy one. <laughs> I, I said in the pre-production, I bet a lot of money. That's what you said. And so <laughs> that is uh, an now, easy one. now the production team can pay up. Uh, love that. <laughs> um, what's something that motivates you that maybe you're not so proud of? Money. And I only say I'm not so proud of it because I'm changing my relationship with money where I'm now trying to embrace the fact that like, yes, I want this to be a massively financially successful outcome for myself and everyone working at Miss Grass and hopefully beyond. But I, that was hard for me to embrace for a while. Yeah. It feels weird when I tell people that, um, in building Morning Brew, that like half of my motivation was like the love of the game, but the other half was truly to make a lot of money. It absolutely felt shameful and like I was being judged for that. So I totally hear it. Fourth question, one last question for you. We had a different lightning round question, but based on what you said in the conversation, I have to ask this. In a perfect world, five years from now, when you're smoking weed with your mom, wh where is it and what sort of weed are you smoking? Uh such a good question. We are absolutely smoking this grass, duh. Although in five years, it won't be legal in Italy. But if it was, we would be somewhere that she had not been, like Italy or somewhere. Mrs. Miller, if you're hearing this, <laughs> an amazing birthday gift for Kate in the coming years. Uh, Kate Miller, thank you so much for joining the pod. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Kate Miller is a fighter. Throughout her life, she has taken personal conflicts and flipped the script to turn them into moments of development for herself and her family. She took stock in her own narrative as a family torn apart by cannabis and as a female founder navigating a space that looks nothing like her and turned those perceived setbacks as opportunities to grow. Her resilience and ability to turn a negative into a positive are skills that all people, not just founders, need in order to thrive in their lives. And that to me is the real takeaway of Kate's story. To me, her story is what this show is all about. And I am so excited to see how she flourishes in Miss Grass and her ventures beyond. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our show is produced by Michaela Heck and Vishnu Vallabhanani. Our executive producer is Brian Henry. Our booking producer is A.B. Silver. And our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Alan Haberchak is the director of audio at Morning Brew, and Sarah Singer is our VP of Multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. <laughs>